Hi, everyone. This is CitizenReporter.org, program 395 for the 17th of October, 2011. You know, I listen to a lot of podcasts and radio programs, and they often do things, offer you shirts, hats, books, and they ask you to donate. And mostly it's to keep the program going, but also to give you something in exchange. Now, I don't have any hats or shirts or even a book at the moment. Maybe one day I will, and maybe that's interesting to you. But for now, what I have is this program, and I've been doing it since 2004, almost every week. And I think, for some of you, this has been worth something. Now, one way to know is if you have donated, then I see it, then I know that it's worth something. Uh, Some of you also recently filled out a survey, and it's still available on citizenreporter.org. If you did, I appreciate it. Now on to the show. Oh yeah! Situation changes when you get into the uh, structural crisis. Instead of a lot of effort uh, making small amount of change, basically. A little effort can make an enormous amount of change because the whole thing is so unstable, so volatile, that every little effort pushes it in one direction or another. So what's the disclaimer then? <laughs> a disclaimer is a way to uh, ensure that uh, your employer does not uh, kick you out because right. you've made a professional fault <laughs> by openly speaking on the web about... Uh, and so Tarak is not speaking for any organization. We're hanging out off the clock. Ten years later. Um, but we've been meaning to do uh, what I hope to become a tradition um, monthly if we can, if we, you and I aren't traveling, or maybe we call through Skype. But the, the idea is that we're going to discuss uh, the world and its problems, the ones maybe that you don't hear about um, in the in the front pages. and Actually, the ones that you hear about on the front pages, but here you will hear about them differently. Yes, the information that doesn't appear. But why? I mean, that's another question. Why? So... What I wanted to do is start our first of many podcasts, hopefully. Uh, you haven't been on the program since probably 2005 or so. 2008. Uh, in 2008? Haiti, in Port-au-Prince. Oh, by phone. Yeah, yes. you were. That's right. That's right. I'm thinking back to Iraq uh, back in your first appearance. Yes. And one of the topic I wanted to start on, I said famine, but we, I think we need to be more specific. Um, Somalia. Huh? That is the, was declared, what, a few months ago. Uh, over the summer, a famine, a disaster, uh, I think already a disaster happening and potentially a worse disaster. Um, some organizations in the world have turned their attention. I know my friends in um, uh, the UN that were in Kabul for a long time moved uh, to to Somalia. So the world is working on it. Um, let's talk about, first of all, how, how it happens. We know Somalia has sort of a government but is not completely, uh, you know, doesn't ex- isn't a fully a state. Things don't function as a state might. Um, how does a famine happen in Somalia? Well, the famine of today probably has been, uh, you know, accelerated, and uh, basically there was 
sort of a catalyst, which was the weather, you know, ultimately. But uh, the hunger, we used to say, is not the, the weather-made, but it's man-made. And to that extent, what's been going on in Somalia for the last 20 years is uh, a complete failure of policies that have been put in place. And uh, we are at the latest stage of this long Somali civil war uh, and seeing the effects of that on the people. But whose policies were a complete failure? Many of them, you know, both locally uh, and regionally and uh, internationally. Uh, there's questionable policies that have been put in place in Somalia since the fall of Siad Barre in the early 90s. Mm. After, historically, if you go back to that period, uh, uh, the Western uh, uh, powers, uh, including the United States, but also European countries, let his government down uh, when he was deemed uh, unfrequentable, you know, after the end of the Cold War. Mm-hmm. I mean... What's what's the pol- what's been the policy towards Somalia? It feels like mostly hands off. Uh, a great embarrassment in the '90s, the now known as the Black Hawk Down uh, incident, um, from some Western powers, including the United States. Um, there's also been the intervention, Ethiopia getting involved with with so-called peacekeeping, or do they even call it that anymore? I don't know. Um, so you know, it's not that nobody's involved, right? Well, if you look at those two incredible historical pieces that you just mentioned, you know, Operation Restore Hope, you know, it's not that long ago. It's about 20 years. If you delve into that history and see what happened around that time, you will figure that the intentions might have been good. It was the early uh, Clinton presidency. Everything was possible back then in, in certain foreign policy circles. And there was a try, really, I think, originally, maybe I'm wrong now, but... Uh, to do it right, you know, it was uh, uh, about people getting access to food and so on and so forth. And it was meant right in a way, maybe just after the Cold War again. But uh, in a way, that worked early in that intervention. But then over the t- over time, the, the United States and other Western governments, obviously, uh, decided to get involved in state building. And in Somalia, this was something that basically didn't work out. And uh, you had the Siad Barre, which was a dictator that kept all the clanic aspects uh, under control, you know. But as Somalia is a clanic uh, society with a very diverse and uh, divisive politics, you find your way in a place where installing a state, a central one, is probably difficult. Mm -hmm. In 1991 already, just uh, when the civil war started, and this is what we're looking at 20 years later, is... um, Somaliland in the northwest of the country uh, decided to become independent and uh, has not been recognized since, but basically controls uh, uh, an efficient chunk of territory that uh, can be said to be a little bit less uh, uh, violent than uh, other parts of the country. Uh, Then you have little uh, areas under control of different clans, militias and so on with uh, their own histories. The TFG was created uh, after uh, the the second uh, invasion, which... uh, is the second uh, historical moment you talked about earlier, which is the Ethiopia uh, passage from uh, basically 2006, late 2006 to early 2009. Uh, And during that time, uh, again, there was uh, an objective of changing uh, an order that was coming into place, at least between 93, 94, you know, the period of uh, the warlords, you know, the, Mm -hmm. the period where... Uh, the United States tried to play in between those warlords, you know, to su- support some and to uh, fight with others in order to put together a, a single unitarian state atmosphere or at least atmosphere conducive for that type of politics. Uh, the Ethiopians came in to stop uh, people that reclaim themselves from the Islamist political fringe. 
sure. uh, which was the Islamic Courts Union, uh, was led at the time by a guy who, who was named Sharif, you know. And they were supporting during that time in the early 2000s and in that period uh, what they called the transitional uh, institutions, including uh, most uh, lately the transitional, transitional federal government, the TFG. Mm-hmm. So as uh, this order, which was a little bit different uh, based on Sharia, trying to go above clans, which had always been a problem in, in large parts of Somalia, uh, became quite a bit acceptable to the people there because it was giving some order, you know, there was a, a sense of order, even if uh, some aspects of it could be deemed as uh, uh, not uh, acceptable under human rights or something. You know, the imposition of tough Sharia law is quite problematic, but mm-hmm. at least some of the people agreed with the fact that it was some order anyway in areas that had seen conflict for mm-hmm. the last 15 years. That success was completely put down uh, through the invasion of Ethiopia because uh, it was deemed uh, dangerous for international security already at that time. There was the that, era of the, of the war on terrorism, so... Still continuing, you know, uh, up until now uh, regarding Somalia. And uh, those people that basically, uh, f- it was felt that uh, they, they, they could create problematic uh, areas uh, in the country where uh, extremist elements could train and so on and, uh, and could develop uh, uh, international operations. Uh, there was this uh, anti-terror lock on Somalia and the ICU uh, was taken down by the Ethiopians um, and then Al-Shabaab grew out of that. So uh, mm-hmm. Al-Shabaab existed as a, as a fringe movement, uh, part of the uh, whole Somali Islamist movement, which uh, has roots in the 50s and 60s when uh, this type of thinking came through the Arab and Muslim world in general mm-hmm. and uh, what we call you know, Islamist, modern Islamist political thinking. So they've been influenced by that. But at the, the time, you know, Al-Shabaab was just a fringe movement and... Uh, uh, it became it became the, the, the vanguard with the ICU um, of the, the resistance. Funny enough, um, after the Ethiopians left, the head of the ICU then became, if I understand, president or prime minister you know, of the TFG institutions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, today, so he's allied with the uh, United States, uh, the Europeans and so on as uh, the recognized leader of the transitional federal uh, system, you know, so as the the ruler of Somalia, basically. This guy, three years ago, was wanted as a a terrorist, you know. So Somalia is so shifting, it's something very complex, you know, and you you, want to try to explain that to everybody, you know, and you try to be pedagogical and so on, but sometimes it's a bit complicated and so on. So, I don't know, looking at you, uh, what do you feel up until now? Well, uh, yeah, no, I've I've watched, tried to watch as best you can in a world where uh, international media isn't interested, uh, general public in the Western world isn't interested. Um, and so even under those circumstances, I try to watch what happens. And the, I've watched a few reporters that work either near the, the region or, or mostly in Eastern Africa. So I get some information from that area. Um, but what I want to focus on, and it is important to know this background politically and military, um, what's going on. I want to focus on the, uh, as we pour another drink, uh, the hunger issue, the famine issue. I mean, f- hunger, as we've just talked about, has been a problem for a long time in Somalia. One of the reasons is weather, surely. Uh, it's a difficult region to grow anything. Uh, then you have all of the political s- security situation, I think also dif- difficult to get access to food. But so when you have this moment where it comes out in the press, organizations, international organizations also say, this has reached a point where we need to do something. What happens, what happened, for example, 
over the summer when I think United Nations Food Program or what, announces this is a famine. Is it money is suddenly directed through the organization to that region that wasn't directed before? I mean, do they, you know, the, the crosshairs move, the little pin on the map says, now we're going to Somalia and we're bringing food, right? And looking back a couple of months, Mark, you know, I mean, you can see how the crisis started. It started with a big call for money out in London and in the UK. It was the big UK NGOs who asked for money, and that made it to the media. And this was the start, really, of the coverage. We knew since at least a year before, or even some more, that, uh, you know, there was going to be some tough let's say, let's call them like that, uh, tough situations in which people would not get enough rain to, to sustain themselves. The problem this time, it's been three in a row. And uh, we could see it coming. Uh, and anyhow, we reacted too late, even ourselves, the aid community. Uh, obviously, the governments, they had different differing uh, agendas in that area of the world. And, uh, and so it was a bit difficult uh, to uh, be in a reactive mode in, in trying to explain a 20-year-old conflict and all its in and outs, be it locally, regionally, or again, internationally. And, uh, you know, the fact that you were seeing uh, kids dying on TV, which is usually what uh, Western media will show in order to show that, the, you know, uh, situation is uh, absolutely grave and everybody's got to do something about it. I mean, it's that, it's that whole image again. So the, the, the hunger, yes, has structural causes. Uh, it has issues with, uh, uh, you know, how people uh, have their own cultural styles as well. For example, I, I'll tell you something uh, uh, peculiar about Somalia, but also about the, the Somali region of Ethiopia, for example, which many people don't don't speak about too much often, you know, either. It's another mm -hmm. old conflict. But uh, anyway, in, in Somalia, the, the, cholestrum, the cholestrum, which is the... The milk, uh, the pre-milk that uh, you get just at birth, you know, uh, which is a bit grayish and so on and so forth, is, is basically uh, considered as uh, haram, you know, in Somalia, which means that it is against uh, uh, God's precepts or something like that. So they don't give it to the newborn. And that, unfortunately, is, uh, is a, a liquid that is full of micronutrients and so on, which could be very helpful. Now, it's not the only thing that will make Wait a kids more vulnerable. Mother's milk? Before milk, it's called the. Uh, ah, okay, okay. Yeah, it's the, the pre-milk. It's it's something that comes uh, yeah. really after birth and so on, and in the first couple of months, I think, from or even less, mother? you know. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's from the mother, but it's not milk as such, you know. And this and is considered no good. Can't do this. Yeah, this is considered. So you know, I mean, I'm not going to go and trace back in the Quran if it is haram or not, but basically, this is something that is very important for the kid, and culturally, there they don't do it. It's not the reason. For why kids are malnourished, but it just shows you that there's a range of things as well. Uh, feeding practices, you know, it's a country that uh, even if they have an agricultural pos uh, potential, and uh, this is along the rivers uh, that they have in the country, the Shebele and the Juba, uh, it is still, uh, let's say, a country that uh, lived for the last, well, uh, forever, I guess, you know, in a pastoralist way, which means, you know, people live on livestock, you know, and they move around uh, to, to get water because... It is, uh, you know, in the Sahelian Band, you know, the, the area that is very dry that goes from about Dakar to uh, uh, mm -hmm. eastern Sudan, you know, and, and Somalia is touched by that. It's just under that. And the, the, the weather is prone to, to, to give you difficulties uh, in, uh, in agriculture. So actually, most of the people used to live in, in pastoralist areas. And uh, over time... Obviously, these, uh, uh, you know, cultural and local patterns of living and so on evolve and change. 
Yep. And that also has uh, or puts pressure on on agricultural uh, output and the way uh, food uh, circulates in the country. Uh, I'll give you a small example that will uh, just give you an idea of of the problems lately that uh, that we have had. You know, on one side you had the WFP. Mm-hmm. who was basically inundating uh, Somalian markets when it was still working there, because now it's actually forbidden to work there. But when it was still working in southern Somalia, you know, it was inundating uh, local markets when actually the, the local farmers were bringing the produce, you know, to the market to, to be sold. Uh, just, I don't know, maybe three, four, five years ago. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that, that's that's what they did. They did it once and everybody went bonkers. And so that, said, they're sending... Do it again. They did it again the next year. Then they got kicked out by Al-Shabaab. This is the history of what happens in the field. And then, you know, of course, over time, people forget and so on. But this is actually the reality of how things happen. And then you get into a situation where you have a crisis because nobody's in there to be able to do the job. Local farmers and local agriculture has been destroyed. And therefore, in a way, there is a responsibility of everyone involved, including the Shabab, for example, who also had questionable agricultural policies put in place during the years in which they were ruling southern Somalia. And we can... uh, Notice, for example, that they asked to have cash crops instead of the usual crops that they were using as well to build on good years. They used to build reserves, you know, in in southern Somalia uh, for the bad years, the drought years. And now they don't do that anymore because as well, and this is why I call it a governance issue, be it uh, as well locally. It's it's also a local governance issue. The Shabab asked for, uh, you know, cash crops, you know, because they were looking to make money right. because they were fighting, you know, basically the rest of the world. I mean, you have drones that are active in that country. Yeah. You have covert operations and so on. You have interventions on foreign militaries from uh, uh, both neighboring countries. So obviously it is uh, it is an issue uh, uh, that, that has a, an impact, you know. But those local policies hurt as much as the international policies. As the drought got bad this year, and everybody agreed that it is a bad drought, that just made it so much worse that people started leaving in uh, in droves, you know, since the start of this year, actually. It, it really went up through the spring and uh, the early summer. Now it's a little bit down, but still incoming. We still have like 1,500 people coming every week into Kenya to access those already world hugest uh, refugee camps in Dadaab, you know, it's yeah. uh, it's quite a situation. I want to make sure people understand what I think for a lot of us listening and, and, and for example, in this city, it's become something we know that food aid, giving food to a country that is having a problem in terms of production and getting production to the people, food aid is food coming into the country, bags, the big white bags, we've seen it, you know, it says made in the USA sometimes or from the EU and has the flag and everything. What you just mentioned was that the organization, UNFP in this case, sends food... WFP. WFP, yes. yes. Uh, send food to Somalia. Uh, this food, we use the term, floods the market, so it's everywhere. It's easily, well, more easily accessible. And the farmer who used to sell... Breaks the prices food. and breaks the market. Right. I mean, that's obvious. And we've known... It, it has happened. And yeah. that's the thing, you know. Yes, of course we've known. Of course it doesn't make frontline news because that's not what people are looking for when they see the headlines nowadays. But uh, this is the reality of the, the, the world in which I live in as a humanitarian aid worker. But I can and hear... this is the things I tell you. you yeah, know? but I can hear lots of people already, including in, in, a, in the Netherlands. It's a typical thing. They will say, that's why we shouldn't get involved. Because we made it worse. And I don't. I think there must be an answer to this. It's not just, well, we didn't do it well, so we shouldn't get involved. I don't, I don't think you can just leave kids to die because you cannot uh, try to, to give them something that, that will save them. And nowadays, if we can take care of a kid that is malnourished and we know there's 
probably tens and hundreds of thousands of them in in Somalia at this time, then we can save them. And to say, well, you know, it's not it's not for us, it's not our job, you know. And, we do a bad and, job. That's what they'll say. <laughs> no, I don't think we do a bad job when we are able to do the things we can. The problem is that nowadays, and this is also a larger discourse we can get into if you're interested, is like aid has been, you know, completely overtly, you know, so clearly for everybody to see politicized and used as basically part of the weapon. You've seen it as well in your own way, Mark, by traveling around the planet and seeing what is Afghanistan maybe as well. People go to Iraq, have worked in Kosovo or something. Maybe they can see some things about what actually happens in in, in the world these days. So in a way, you know, the Somalia the, the, the Somalia question is just part of that show, you know. It's, uh, it's something that will uh, uh, hit people's consciousness, you know, when really there's it's it's already too late you know and and then they will question the aid you know but look at them you know they're they're dying there you know they should have less kids they don't have enough resources yeah but guess what somehow some way we're also a little bit responsible about what's going on here because our freaking policies have been failing for years and years mm-hmm. what we tried as international community foreign interest people taking over and trying to control territories around the globe well it failed in somalia it didn't work you want to know a couple of things that people don't cover about somalia the tens of years now it's 20 years of conflict right mm-hmm. the tens of years where basically everybody around the planet comes in with their ugliest things you know and drops them you know out to sea in front of somalia there's no navy in somalia anymore people have been actually you know dumping dumping all their waste and stuff i don't even want to know what's in there man but there's been dumping in that area around somalia for the last 20 years and then you know the somalis a few of them that did some fishing because uh, bizarrely enough they live on so many kilometers of coast but they don't like fish or they don't eat fish Uh but some people lived on that and so on and have questioned the fact that they don't have any more uh, fishes because on top of the waste there is also the fisheries of, of foreign countries that come and fish there, you know. Exactly. And therefore, they decided to engage in piracy. And, you know, mm-hmm. of course, this is something that is uh, underreported, underlooked at, you know. Who would go and ask, well, what's the motivation of the pirates? Of course, they want to make money and they want to kidnap mm-hmm. people to make money. But guess what? In the way we have left that country, we've abandoned it. Yeah. All of us, you know, in those years, basically, this is the result, you know, and, and not looking at it and saying, well, you know, we're going to do the aid bad. We shouldn't get involved there. It's not our business, you know, and so on. Well, that's too freaking easy, man. Yeah. And the story we've been sold just on the pirates thing alone, we've been sold the story that Somali pirates are just little loose groups of, you know, idiots who will attack defenseless ships that are worth money going somewhere. Mark, Mark, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying they all have a political consciousness. But but there is some aspects of this discourse that is well understood in Somalia. Somalis are politically savvy, very savvy people. They understand what the hell the stakes are about in that country. And it's not all about the images of little kids dying of hunger, which is a disaster. And my organization does as much as it can on a global level to to stop that type of things and and work on it and save lives. But uh, in a way, it's something that's, as I said, been going on for years and with many ins and outs. But so let me ask you about the, the food thing. We've just identified how food aid can go wrong. Uh, you've pointed out also that, that food aid could go right, could do right for a lot of people. 
Um, don't organizations that not, not in its food, current form, not in its current, form. but they haven't changed. They're still doing the same thing. Well, I mean, you know, people say, I mean, okay, right now, you know, m- malnourished people, you know, they, yeah. they, they think food, you no, know, give them food. Well, guess what? You know, it's, it's a, it's a medical condition. It, it's something that uh, needs to be cured that in a, in a health system that can but do it. You know, the health system in general doesn't, doesn't work well in that country as well. You mm-hmm. know, um, Therefore, in a way, they're doomed, you know, almost from the start. You even have malnutrition that transmits between mothers that are already malnourished to their child who's about to be born. Yeah. Hoping that, you know, uh, in the birth, you know, it it won't be the death of the mother, which, uh, you know, we know in Somalia, uh, one of the highest uh, death, uh, maternal death rates in the world and probably without even being able to calculate it. But uh, all these things are part of the reality of Somalia and make it even uh, much more vulnerable to any type of shock. And in the last couple of years, they've just been getting shock after shock after shock. And and the drought is the the last one, you know, three failing rainy season. I mean, this has not happened, yes, in probably decades, you know, Mm -hmm. but this is the way it is now. And it's only uh, amplified and made worse by the political and conflictual things that we've discussed earlier. Don't aid organizations change their strategy because they've learned from the past. So, you know, you just mentioned how malnourishment isn't just a matter of throwing people food. So organizations know this. They have wise people such as yourself. Uh, Don't they adjust their strategy accordingly? I mean, well, there is actually why and I say it's not food. I, I might be exaggerating. There is actually special type of foods now that have been created okay. by, uh, by companies. Uh, actually, a, a French one is fairly known for that. And they've created these type of paste, you know, that is a little bit like peanut butter. And that actually, if you treat the kid well with that, even if he comes severely malnourished, you should, I mean, you don't get them all back, you know, but you should be able to save most of them by using these type of paste or extra micronutrients and so on. But this, for example, is also a response to a crisis, you know. Uh, of course, you're going to be able to save some people, but of course, many many more will die just because they're still in Somalia and they cannot get out or for whatever reason. And there's a wealth of reasons or, uh, yeah. behind that. And uh, and uh, But the, the people that will be able to make it through and that we will be able to save. So, for me, you know, use uh, those those therapeutic foods, but it's the emergency. It's the tip of the iceberg. You know, if you don't have like things that will follow up on that, and if you don't work on a country like Somalia, and obviously I don't think anybody will be able to correctly work in that country as long as conflict is there and, mm-hmm. and there's that 20-year-old civil war. But uh, if we ever had a chance to be able to do the work as we should in Somalia, uh, then obviously we would need to work on many different things uh, at the same time, including uh, uh, aspects that relate to uh, uh, how uh, you know the the, uh, the health is provided to people, you know, uh, and how you educate people about those things. You know, it's 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 quite complex when you, when uh, people have gone through twenty year twenty years of war. I mean, I I, I compare them. I, I have the chance of meeting. A few of them here and there, you know, through my work, and you know, I, I they're survivors, man. I mean, mm-hmm. this is unbelievable. These people, what they have gone through, a bit like the Afghans, and you've met Afghans, yeah, you know, yeah. and these are people that have gone through hell and back, you know, and and they're still there and fighting, and you know, we're not even able to give them decent living conditions and to take them on when they move across uh, the borders and so on. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you try to limit it, you try to send them back in their own countries and so on. You don't want to deal with them, but. Uh, actually, you know, they're survivors, you know, and we, we should be uh, uh, 
proud of them as uh, as part of the human race that they are able to go through these things and still go on through and live their life on this planet. I'm all over the place. No, you're good. One one thing is, and I think anybody listening has recognized it, but I want to point it out. The reoccurring theme here, one of them, is if we're going to help a country, let's say in terms of famine, we need security. And, yeah, yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, long-term food security issues, you know, you need time. I mean, they, in Somalia, e- e- even if, let's say, the conflict stops and they go back into, let's say, a recovery phase, yeah. it will take time. And, and, and basically, maybe they will get hit by another drought. <laughs> Before they have fulfilled the, the coming back from recovery, back to maybe uh, you know uh, doing progress on their status, you know uh, yeah. that's where the development issue comes in. You know, twenty years of payments into people that did development projects in Somalia. Where did that go? Nowhere. You know, mm. somebody should count how much money has been poured into Somalia in terms of development over the last twenty years, and, uh, and people would be like, "Oh, what the hell is going on? It's not possible. Impossible." You yeah. know. Yeah. But guess what? It happened again. Mm-hmm. Mm. But at the same time, we don't know, and you're not here to tell us unless you want to. But. Um, how to get the security that is needed because what it seems like is we've decided uh-huh. internationally we've decided we don't have the security but listen we need to go send food now yeah, anyway but so, some people openly talk about different solutions ah, Ethiopia talks about humanitarian corridors yeah, you have uh, uh, the UN at one time discussed as well the possibility of uh, uh, doing running IDP camps instead of refugee camps that mean uh, you know, internal camps going inside. into Somalia to to secure an area and secure that means militarily secure yeah. an area for the the provision of aid, and uh, to that extent, I mean uh, that's not how uh, aid is supposed to be provided, and mm-hmm. and that is usually uh, uh, an excuse for other objectives. So you know, uh, in Ethiopia, for example, or in Kenya, in those neighboring countries, they have hundreds of thousands of people to deal with and they're getting tired of it and even if they make some money of it because that's the way it works nowadays you get money for having the camp in your country of course you, uh-huh. you do Kenya I makes mean, money uh, yeah. Kenya and Ethiopia you know both of them but it's part of a, an international agreement in a way that uh, you know you cannot completely stop these people from coming and actually you have international law and regulations that deal with that part where you know the refugees are is actually a status that means something still yeah. uh, or should right something here, in this I'm not, I'm country not sure anymore. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to see in the Netherlands, but then refugees, migrants, it'd be an interesting topic for another discussion, maybe yes. one of these evenings. <laughs> uh, so, so the idea, yeah, that uh, you know, basically you have these refugees trying to flee, and uh, you know, uh, the idea is to go and help them inside Somalia. Whereas we know there's a drought, we know there's a fight, uh, and basically there is, you know. An enemy, and this is how it's termed, you know, an enemy of of uh, regional uh, countries and also uh, their international backers. You know, you do have the presence of UN armed forces, AMISOM. You know, I mean, it's I'm sorry, it's not UN armed forces. It is actually the African, African Union, Union yeah. uh, armed forces present in country, but they're backed up by the UN and, and by its more powerful members. And and to that extent, the stakes are for everybody that uh, that is in Somalia and so on. And um, Everybody's getting disappointed with the TFG, you know, that famous transitional, transitional. federal government where yeah. tons of money has been dropped I, and I, where I, nothing <laughs> is coming out. I see the president every now and then. He's surrounded by security and he steps out of a vehicle for a few minutes and then back in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's still basically a, a ghost uh, government or, you know, the TFG controls 
fringes on on the borders of its neighboring countries, Ethiopia and Kenya, and uh, Mogadishu, and uh, actually uh, most of it now, at least uh, the, what is considered Mogadishu, since uh, uh, a couple of months ago when Al Shabab decided to get out of the city uh, for you know reasons that were debated at the time, but that probably mean that uh, they could not hold uh, Mogadishu, uh, or at least uh, be present in Mogadishu without paying too much of a, of a high price, including uh, over internal divisions. Yes. So you, you are in that environment today where everybody knows that uh, we need to help these people. I'll tell you something else. You know, the rainy season is coming, so bam, they're going to get hit with malaria, and bam, they're going to get hit... Uh, you know, with all types of waterborne diseases, you know, mm -hmm. and because their health is uh, at uh, rock bottom uh, as they've been malnourished, you know, there's going to be even more people dying in the next few weeks. But hang on, Tarek, we mean, this know. this is the reality. But we know, look, you know, and and you're not the only one again, <laughs> we know that this is coming. Yeah, but Are they cannot, doing we, things? Well, we try, man. So yeah. in, in the main areas... That have been declared as as under famine, you know. For me, you know, this crisis and Somalia in general, it's not a big F as in famine, you know. It's a big F as in failure, mm -hmm. the failure that's been going on there for the last 20 years. But we've talked about that, you yeah, know. So yeah. the idea now is to say, okay, what's coming? I mean, what's those areas where people are either held back or for different reasons. So they couldn't be held back by uh, Al-Shabaab, who controls those territories. There's also issues related to uh, them not having the money or the ability to travel because they're too weak already. So we know there's people there. Now, the UN throws numbers here and there. That's their specialty. You know, I'm not going to characterize, but there's hundreds of thousands of people that are at risk of dying in the next few weeks. And uh, basically, well, it's passing us by, which is, in a way, c'est la vie. What do you want me to say? You know? yeah, I yeah, work yeah. on it every yeah. day, and yeah. uh, I see it even from afar. I am based in Amsterdam. But uh, it's, it's just something uh, that uh, maybe this podcast will help uh, you know, move forward. Who knows? Well, I don't know, because we suffer from that, <laughs> that, you know, you could know a conflict better, but, but are we doing anything? Well, the idea is to do better in the future or in the present than we've done in the past, right? So you mentioned the failures. The idea now is to have less failures. You have the failures, learn from them. And that's what I'm trying to figure out. Have we learned and are we applying what we've learned? Well, you look to me right now like a man who's saying we haven't really applied what we've learned. But if you approach it like that, you, you would say that, you know, and it was the, the, the sense of your question earlier, you know, of saying like, you know, but, you know, we don't want our aid to be there or we failed or, you know, we shouldn't be involved. That's so often so, so, the so response. to say, you know, yeah, it's often the response. Yeah. You, you mentioned it earlier. And, yeah. I, and I, you know, I'm a fan of the aid world, a lot of aid world bashing. I am a, an absolute <laughs> fan of the aid world. I've done it from first grade up the ladder, you know, and I've seen what life it uh, you know what life changing sometimes at least what difference in people's lives it makes you know yes. it might not be life changing but you know i've it, seen some yeah, yeah yeah it's definitely yeah. impressive you know and to say that that's wrong you know or we shouldn't do that then I, I i don't agree with that but in general learning from failure i don't see it happening i mean <laughs> look mm -hmm. at what's going on a few days ago i'll send you the article i haven't mm -hmm. sent you that one the us has just set up a drone base you know in uh, in uh, western eastern southeastern ethiopia you know i mean what does that mean we're still in that logic of you know there's territories around the globe and and southern somalia is one of them where 
the prevailing order uh, uh, is not followed and it is felt by the United States and other countries that there is uh, transnational threats coming out of that. And, mm-hmm. uh, obviously, this is something that drives as well the decisions and the politics uh, of those countries. So it is interesting to look at them as well mm-hmm. uh, in terms of failures and in terms of saying if we want to solve what's going on in Somalia, I mean, uh, I would give a, a couple of suggestions, you know, for example, forget the unitary state in Somalia, you got to do a federal thing, you know, if you're able to sit down all the people that are there. Mm-hmm. I mean, these, this is a, uh, you know, I've, I've seen, there's five big uh, clans or, mm-hmm. or families or tribes on top of the Somali uh, clan tree and uh, I've seen it once you know it was doing like a wall of uh, two meters over two meters you know full of names out of five names on top of that and and this is how that 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 country that those people work you know and and therefore I don't think that the unitary central state can be a solution they they have to be given some kind of federalism uh, with local authority you know uh, um, some themes that resonate with uh, you know self empowerment and leaving people at the lower possible level uh, uh, making decisions uh, as it relates to the way they live you know uh, and and this Somalia is the perfect example for that and and for whatever reason it's uh, including their own codes and uh, related to violence and so on the Somali people are uh, quite interesting people as well and the way they live their lives and they solve their uh, conflicts but uh, in a way uh, we should not be in a in a position of uh, you know looking at that place and either you know uh, cynically uh, putting it away you know and saying well whatever you know uh, or only concentrating on the security uh, matters you know it, it's people there as well yeah. uh, you cannot have on one side the cynics and on the other side the military i mean there is a third way, which is to try to continue negotiate with these people to find a, a key to entering their areas without them feeling threatened, you know. Yeah. And Al-Shabaab, uh, since it is in an open war with the whole international system, including the United States in the last two, three years, is obviously not in the mood to have people running around, be it uh, international Western uh, uh, expatriate uh, aid workers or uh, anybody else for that matter. Yeah. I mean, there are those who say you can't negotiate, not knowing fully about al-Shabaab, but they'll consider them an al-Qaeda for Somalia and so forth. Uh, you've just pointed out how it's not the case. A lot of people agree with what they have in mind for the country because they haven't had any order and so on. Um, but a lot of people will say you can't negotiate with such a group. Uh, that, I, I think, think, I think you have... No, but I mean, you know... You, <laughs> I mean... You you can always negotiate. I feel. I mean, I am. I'm, I do this job. I believe in the aid world. I am what I am, and, uh, and it's because I believe you can always negotiate. You can call into the humanity of people. Maybe you don't need to threaten them and speak to them in military terms and send drones at them. And uh, they also have to maybe uh, you know uh, figure out how to govern the p- population that uh, that they're uh, dealing with. I mean, they they are a, a group that. Uh, uh, kills people uh, in uh, in brutal matters. You know they con- they controlled some of the areas that they have uh, uh, because of violence and through violence. So I mean, obviously, uh, El Shabab is not a saint here, and I'm not trying to depict it like that. But uh, these people have to be dealt with because they are there right now, and yeah. they will be there in the future in another emanation. If it's yeah. not uh, you know the current leadership or the current people in place, yeah. even this is not the first uh, uh, version of. 
Al-Shabaab that we're seeing. It was it had a different name in the past and so on. Well, it was uh, part of the ICU. I exactly, mean, really, right. it, so, even if we don't want to go back to restore hope in the 90s and, and look at what's happened there, you know, we, we can look at the Ethiopian uh, period, you know, mm-hmm. recently and, and see that, you know, this was uh, a war against ICU uh, and Al-Shabaab grew out of ICU right. uh, Then something will uh, at grow that time, out of Al-Shabaab, depending of on... Of course, I mean, these are, these are, you know, historical, sociological uh, uh, trends, you know, uh, uh, Islamist thoughts and, uh, and uh, politics, the way they are uh, understood in many parts of the Arab Muslim world uh, uh, nowadays, uh, is something that involves, uh, you know, constant uh, interaction with the control of the state and so on. So uh, it, it will not disappear. Let me... Zoom out of Somalia for a second. Has there ever been, and it makes me curious as we've been talking, the case, say in the last 10, 20 years, further back if you want, but where a famine, there was a risk of famine, and that the international community, through whatever uh, arm, uh, responded in a way, in time, to avoid the famine? I'm not a famine expert. And no. to be honest, I won't be I'm able to, to tell you. Uh, I won't be able to tell you if there's a famine nowadays in, in Somalia. I don't want to uh, uh, under uh, or misrepresent what is going on there. It is definitely a crisis. It is definitely something uh, hardcore that is going on in that part of the world in terms of uh, food security, access to feeding themselves, access to water, and so on. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time... Uh, The UN has called it a famine. Uh, there's questions about their methodologies. They have changed indicators in the spring and then called it a famine uh, around July. Uh, all the areas that uh, have been called famine are under al-Shabaab territory, but historically they're also the part that have been most affected by previous famine. So mm-hmm. uh, you have to, to keep balanced as well in the way you, you look at it, you know. Uh, but uh, I would say in the last uh, 20 years, uh, I'm looking at famines, you know, uh, You always are able to save some people, you know. You might not be able to save them all. And you were, as I said, tens and hundreds of thousands died, you know. Live Aid, you remember that, you know. Everybody's <laughs> going to Ethiopia. It was the 80s, you know. Oh, the original, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it, it remained a, a great soundtrack, no? I mean, I enjoyed that one. But, But you anyway. worked in Haiti. Wasn't there a fear, this was before the earthquake, wasn't there a fear of a famine... Uh, no, as as not the famine as bad, you know. But I mean, the, the big one, you know, Ethiopia and so on. Uh, but even nowadays, if we don't speak about famine, there's still a lot of people that are malnourished or that, that, uh, that are hungry uh, uh, daily uh, throughout the world, including in our Western advanced countries. Yeah. And, and that's the way it is. And, and, and to that extent, I mean, it's, it's not something, if you can do something about it, yeah. it's not something you should just close your eyes and forget about. Yeah. Uh, If, we, if we're able to access uh, all the areas in Somalia and do our job as we can, we will save many thousands of people. But there will be much, much many more that will die. Yeah. And that's a sobering thing. And uh, this is what you have to keep up with uh, every day as, a, as an aid worker. As a, yeah. uh, and this is why when you, when you go out in the media and in the communication world, you know, and you, you start playing with words and... and, and And, and, and saying things that, uh, you know, using big words and so on. Uh, the UN has word famine. Uh, you know, all the NGOs jumped on it. Well, uh, some others are more conspicuous about what exactly is happening there. And hmm. nobody has people on the, 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 uh, the ground and actually doing work. Everybody works. Uh, Through some Well, you know, some people work under their own name, obviously, uh-huh. you know. Uh-huh. But uh, 
other uh, organizations work through local organizations and you don't actually know uh, hmm. what is the result of their projects and their spending money in that country. Hmm. And that's a reality. Oh. Uh, but this is, uh, in Somalia, it's particularly acute because of the conflict and the the, uh, the incapacity of, of getting access, you know. But in other countries, uh, it is part of of the aid business, you know. You live in a country, you, you make people work, you, you, you give contracts, you give, uh, you know, services and so yeah. on. So there is obviously an interaction with the local environment. And uh, at this moment in Somalia, uh, or at least in parts of Somalia, uh, people, uh, you know, uh, let's say of uh, Western backgrounds or, or even others are not accepted because uh, they are felt to, to be representing organizations that are a threat to the people ruling those areas. And you cannot do much about that. I mean, we could talk about North Korea, Eritrea. These are the type of countries where you don't have NGOs, you don't have aid, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're probably not doing very good, you know, but... Uh, why are they doing that? Because they understand that aid is part of an agenda, and right. it's more difficult today to get yeah. out of that agenda. Yeah. Hmm, maybe that'll be next time. Countries that don't have aid. We can start the list. We can talk about how it works there. Uh, what good is it? What bad is it? All right. Well, Tarek, thanks so much. This is the, the first of many, I hope, of, of live in either your house or my house. We talk about the world, and we choose a problem or a place. Okay, well, let's try to give it a name, you know. Uh, well, you, you have to find that out, Mark, yeah. you know. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> we'll see you soon in Amsterdam. We'll work on the name, but for now, citizenreporter.org is where it's based. And, uh, and you will see, you'll know when Tarak is on, and you'll see what topic we're working on. Uh, thanks a lot. And hey, talk to you next time. <laughs> I spit it for my block, it's an ode I admit it here, the city code is lock and load Any minute this rock and roll and you rock and roll And feel your soul leaving It's just the wrong glance that'll leave you not breathing I'm not particularly proud of this predicament But I'm born and bred in this tenement I'm sentimental, what? Plus it's only right to represent my hood and whatnot So I'm about to do it in the music and the movie to the chase, pan across to the face I'm right there, freeze frame on the street name Oops, wait a minute, this is where the streets have no name And the drain of sewage, you can see it in this boy How the hate is brewing Cause when his tummy tucks in, fuck the pain is fluid So what difference does it make entertaining through it Some get high mixing coke and gunpowder sniffing She got a gun but could have been a model or a physician So what you know about the pirates terrorize the ocean To never know a simple day without a big commotion It can't be healthy just to live with such a steep emotion And when I try and sleep, I see coffins closing So what you know about the pirates terrorize the ocean To never know a simple day without a big commotion It can't be healthy just to live with such a steep emotion And when I try and sleep, I see coffins closing Yeah, yeah We used to take barbed wire Mold them around discarded bike tires Roll them down the hill on foot blazing Now that was our version of mountain bike racing Damn! Do you see why it's amazing When someone comes out of such a dire situation And learns the English language just to share his observation Probably get a Grammy without a grammar education So fuck you school and fuck you immigration And all of you who thought I wouldn't amount to constipation And now I'm here without the slightest fear and reservation They love me in the slum in the native reservations The world is a ghetto administering deprivation But my 
mommy didn't raise no food, did she haul you? I promised I would get it and remain strictly loyal. Cause when they get it, then they let it all switch and spoil. But I just illuminated it like kitchen foil. A lot of mainstream niggas is yapping about yapping. A lot of underground niggas is rapping about rapping. I just wanna tell you what's really cracking lacking. Before the tears came down, this is what happened. So what you know about the pirates terrorize the ocean? To never know a simple day without a big commotion. It can't be healthy just to live with such a steep emotion. And when I try and sleep, I see coffins closing. So what you know about the pirates terrorize the ocean? To never know a simple day without a big commotion. It can't be healthy just to live with such a steep emotion. 